Welcome to the Sisters of Industry, a weekly podcast where a shared bloodline combined with divergent professional experiences set the stage for great conversation on doing work that matters. With Laura's global corporate experience and Jen's nonprofit startup experience, the sisters will provide you with insights that can be used to help you lead and work better starting now. We're here to make you laugh, make you think, and make you more industrious in your professional and personal life. got this whole computer thing up and running, where would I be without my MacBook? I'm Laura, and my thanks to the baby boomer generation for their music. Seriously. Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, and Carole King. I'm showing my personal taste there, but you can't overlook the Stones, Led Zeppelin. This list could go on forever. Today we continue our generation series by spending some time with the baby boomers. This generation has been formative for our workplace and still makes up a vast percentage of those punching the clock on a weekly basis. While they have earned the opportunity to retire, many do not want to, and frankly, we are not ready for them to go, emotionally or intellectually. So, how do we do what's best for everyone and allow the boomers to continue their high-impact ways while still preparing future generations? Lots to cover here, so let's go. Laura, I know I've already said this, but I am thoroughly enjoying this conversation on the generations. I think it is super relevant and I already have a bunch of immediate takeaways personally and for my organization. So today we're going to turn our attention fully to the boomers and the boomers. We've had a lot of fun and I'm talking generally we um, kind of picking fun and making fun at the boomers in recent years. Well, there's a lot of fun to be had there, right? I mean, let's be serious. I talked about their music in the intro. There are some crazy TV shows that come out of the boomer generation, right? Like the reality is these folks have worked so hard and been so prolific. They've given us a lot of material to work with. (laughs) It's so true. And just recently Seinfeld showed up in the Netflix library and it is, it's, I mean, there's so much goodness there, but we have of course been mocking them a little bit along the way because that's just what everyone does. But I think you and I want to spend a few minutes at the top here today talking about the fact that we need the boomers and they're not done yet. So that's that's a good thing all around. The boomers, like you said, still make up a big percentage of our workforce, somewhere around 30% of our workforce is still the boomers. So Laura, we need them, right? We absolutely need them. I'll tell you, one of the things that struck me as I was prepping notes for this episode is actually the reality that we're going to talk a lot about a whole lot of philosophical and practical reasons that we still need the boomers. But can I just say out loud that we do need to reconcile the fact that we just need them from a sheer quantity standpoint. And I think that hit me the other night (laughs) as I was thinking about, you know, I think there's a lot of us that are still trying to grapple with the whys that we're struggling with employment, particularly in the United States right now. And I do not want to get political about this by any stretch. And I don't think the answer lies just in politics, right? But we all know that there are, we are hiring and we are closed and hiring signs 
everywhere Mm -hmm. in the United States right now. And I find myself wondering if amongst the 82 reasons that have all converged into this essentially crisis situation right now, if one of the reasons isn't that the last 18 months or so has pushed a lot of boomers to maybe move more quickly into retirement than they had planned, um, or to be stepping back from some of their side hustle work, because these are folks that retired and then continued to work side hustles because they don't know what to do them with themselves, right? Yes. I can't believe that there isn't a compounding impact there. So I just had this moment where I've gone, okay, we're going to talk about lots of things like mentorship, et cetera. But let's just also say we have a quantity problem here that is going to have to be grappled with over the next few years. It's true. And I do, I think it's interesting you said that because I think there's a tension point right now where because of some of the current climate, we've maybe seen some boomers move more quickly toward retirement. And at the same time, there's still a lot of boomers. And I feel like this is true. I know this to be true statistically, but also anecdotally that don't want to retire. In fact, I had lunch with someone who would be a baby boomer this past week who's working on yet another certification because she just watched her daughter finish up a doctoral degree and she's going i want to do more too and so she's entering yet another thing that would be you know third and fourth career because she's done but she's not done and there is something good about that we need a little bit of both because it is you know time to make some room for gen z as we started talking about last week but as you're mentioning with the numbers we still need the boomers they have a lot more to give and so we do want to offer some of those philosophical underlying thoughts of why we really need these boomers and why they're not done yet so laura you already mentioned numbers what else stands out to you I think the other thing that stands out to me is the just vast amount of knowledge that the boomers have. Um, A lot of times we refer to it as that tribal knowledge that exists in a lot of organizations. And I think we have to be realistic about the fact that we've not in a lot of cases done a good job yet of acknowledging and transferring that experience and knowledge. So let's start first with like the literal knowledge part, um, the more hard skills, right? The These folks know how the widgets work kind of information, how what kind of analysis, how to go do root cause problem solving because they know how the machines work. Um, they know where the bodies are buried, so to speak, right? I think there is a <laughs> lot of institutional knowledge sitting in with this baby boomer generation that we need to be very deliberate about transferring over the next couple of years, whether it's done formally or informally. And in a lot of cases, I would say, let's take the early lesson that documentation rules here, because what we're doing is we're transferring this information to generations that are smaller in size, that have a little bit more of an inclination to changing jobs, right? So there's gonna be a little bit more movement in the workforce, and there's just a lot of general uncertainty in the environments in which we work. So we need to put some both formal and and informal plans together on how we're gonna make sure we understand what the boomers know so that we don't have a very rude awakening a couple years from now when we start to encounter those generational issues that we've never seen before and we don't have the boomers knowledge to lean back on. I think that's critical. One of the things that you said, Laura, a couple weeks ago when we started this series that I wrote down was the idea that 
Generation X has moved around a little more. They've been a little more willing and entrepreneurial. So they've both gone from places to start new things and been willing to jump around different places. But what that means is that Generation X, it's not just a matter of them getting older and then they'll have that same institutional IQ as the boomers. That's truly a generational shift. And so that knowledge that the boomers have is going to be critical organizationally. And I think one of the other interesting things that's come up in our conversation a little bit, but I wanna press into a little bit more for, for a minute now, is the idea that Generation Z actually shares some things with the boomers. There's things that are vastly different, but one of the things that you and I have come across as we have done the research around this is that Generation Z is a little more institutionally minded in the ways the boomers were and in ways that differ from how Generation X and the millennials pushed away from, from institutions. And so we've been picking on your oldest a little bit in part because she is a Generation Z entering the workplace. But I think about the fact that she would she loves the idea of working for Disney and that whole Imagineering and she's looking at architecture and all these amazing things, but she loves the idea of connecting to this institution that's celebrating 50 years, right? At least Disney World. Is it Disney World? You're the expert here, Laura. Uh, be careful. I'll train you later. It is okay. Disney World that is celebrating 50 okay. years, along Disney with Southwest World. Airlines. Let that explode in your brain. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. But they like the idea of the stability because they they're wandering into the workforce amidst instability and they're looking for that duration. And so in so many ways, we need this boomer transfer to not only go to Gen X and millennials, but we need the boomers to stick around long enough to talk to Gen Z. I think that's a great point. And I think this is where we also need to draw in the fact that in some cases, we need to apply some tough love to all of these generations. And, and I'll go back to We've been talking about it. Gen X is a bridge building generation here to some degree, right? Mm -hmm. We hear in some of the context for the reason we approach this series is a lot of what we hear is about how these generations don't get along and what they see is wrong with each other. And how do we how do we figure out how to help them get along in the workplace, right? And here's a and here's a situation where I say it is critical that we have to build these bridges and help them realize that they actually believe in many of the same things. And if if I am a baby boomer, it's time to recognize that actually Gen Z and even millennials, if if we can really get some eyes opened, they might do things differently. Their phones are always in their hands. It's annoying, but let's get over it, right? Like I, it mm -hmm. makes boomers crazy, right? It even makes some Xers crazy. Their phones are always in their hands, but because to them, that's where the post-it notes are that the rest yes. of us live by, right? That's yes. their their walking post-it note. Whereas the rest of us, I just have them plastered all over my house in this cluttery, horrifying fashion, right? They may not always like each other's mechanisms. Whereas, you know, Zers get annoyed that the boomers have questions about the cordless mouse, right? It's, there's gonna be some clash there, but they actually have more in common than they have separate. The mechanism, the delivery tools might be a little bit different, but the fundamental values of working hard, dedicating yourself to a cause, not just to an institution, but a cause. I reference you back to Simon Sinek and what are you working for, right? Mm -hmm. 
This is what these groups are. They are clinging to these concepts. And if we can get them to understand that they have that in common and for baby boomers getting Gen Z and allowing Gen Z to be the next generation that carries on their legacy is a really powerful opportunity. Yes. And I think where the next piece then we can jump right into with the why we need the boomers to stick around and it's great that they aren't done yet is this active mentorship. We need them and mentors, mentors, mentors. And a lot of times we think of mentors as the person who's just a few steps ahead of us. And I think that's important. I think that's highly important. Sometimes you can get too far ahead and you're trying to be mentored by someone who has no memory of what it is to be where you are. However, I think that there's something to be said for the fact that boomers are at a place and these are obviously generalisms, but they're at a place in their lives and their careers where they're not, they're no longer ladder climbing. Let me just say it that way. And and I realize that's not all encompassing, but they're, they're not necessarily ladder climbing. They're no longer asking the big question of establishing their careers. And so they're also not threatened by the people coming behind them, which means in many ways, they have the bandwidth to be mentoring the people that are coming behind them. They're willing to look beyond their own career and their own role at who's coming next. And Laura, I know we've mentioned this too, but I can't not think of our dad in this context. Our dad had no interest in retirement. I mean, zero interest in retirement. He tried it a couple times and was a total failure at retirement. And that was never gonna be his deal and but we could make such a long list of people that he was actively mentoring both formally and informally and i think that's something we really have to intentionally ask the boomers to do in the coming years i i love that point and i think that here's a place where we can say again, applying some of the formality around it is helpful and really investing in that. Because one of the things um, I'm going to say that I think some generations are too informal about men mentoring, taking it too casually, right? I took a um, an online course with John Acuff. We all know I love him and speak so highly of a lot of his stuff. I took an online course last week and he, in the course, took some time to talk about that um, personal board of advisors, that a concept we've most of us have encountered before, right? And mm -hmm. I think this is a great place to say, okay, as you approach your personal board of advisors, and most of the time this is going to apply to folks that are probably, I'm going to just say it, in their 40s, you know, 30s and 40s is probably the general age range in which you're thinking about something like that, right? Mm -hmm. How are you pulling all generations into that, specifically that boomer generation and making that part of it so we can understand from them the work ethic, the lessons that they have learned the hard way about work-life balance, right? Yeah. We have we so often say, hey, the boomers were so committed, maybe overcommitted, things got out of control. But you know what? Most boomers learned some hard lessons in work-life balance and helped learn are helping sort out how to do that the right way. I have learned more from um, aunts and uncles and parents and mentors in that generational range um, than anyone about how to really apply the work hard, play hard concept. And mm -hmm. I think that 
other generations like to claim that as unique in theirs, but the boomers are probably the first ones that really got a hold of that one, frankly, because of learning the hard way of pushing too far and then having to deal with what are the effects on mental and physical health and even family as be, as a result, right? So they've lived that out already and learned those lessons. So I would just say, whether it's through your personal board of advisors, a one-on-one -on -one mentorship, um, informal, formal, whatever it is, we need to make those connections. And as an organizational leader, you need to be out there proactively encouraging and enforcing the need to make those connections and not allowing that to happen through personal initiative and chance. Yes, and I'll just be among the many that wanna say loud and clear for any boomers that happen to be listening right now, we want you, we need you. So please, please, stick around and we we want to hear your voices because you're right laura their work ethic their drive is unmatched and also a lot of them did experience burnout and they learned from it and so for some of us who are in these middle generations right now in the workforce that are running up against some of these things we stand to learn a lot from the caution flags the boomers can throw and the ways they can teach us to do it better. So this was a really quick list, Laura, of some ways the boomers are around and we need them. And I'm really glad we got to make that list and not just um, throw out some more shade toward the boomers. We think they're great. So we're gonna head to some real talk. We'll be back in just a minute with the rest of the generation. Today in Real Talk, I want to right a wrong that we have committed on this podcast. And very simply stated, it is the fact that we do not talk about Duke basketball enough. Yeah. And it's a very important part of our lives. So to our listeners, if you're a Michigan fan or a Maryland fan or something like that, listen, don't hang up because I think there's still a lot to be said in this podcast that you will enjoy. But I got to be honest, we were born and raised on Duke basketball. We had a dog named Duke for quite a few years in our life. And it's about time that Real Talk features Mike Krzyzewski. I still can't spell it, but I can say it. My kids can say it. My dog can say it. We know who <laughs> Coach K is and we adore Coach K in this house. I know the same is true of yours, Jen. But I think let's talk generations, mentors, handoffs. And we've got a great one happening right now in Durham, North Carolina with the Coach K to John Shire handoff, which is being done beautifully and very publicly. What are you observing as that happens, Jen? Well, I think so much of what we just talked about, A, the intentionality. Coach K has actively been a mentor. I mean, his whole career, he's been coaching kids. And, and I mean, so much of being a coach in general is mentoring. But I don't think it's accidental that so many of his former players ha end up as his assistant coach. All of his assistant coaches are former players. I'm sure there's a longer list of former players that want to be his assistant coaches. And frankly, there are benches across the country at other universities littered with former Duke players that grabbed hold of this teaching, mentoring, constant growth and leadership concept. And so again, the bias toward Coach K is huge and out there, and I'm glad you owned it for us up front, Laura. But what
What's really cool is we've all known for a while that Coach K was heading toward retirement a few seasons, several seasons ago. Gosh, this has been longer ago than I want to think. He had back issues. He stepped away for a year and, you know, but came back strong. But now at the age of 74, he announced last year that he is, in fact, ready to um, head into retirement. But instead of making that announcement and walking off immediately into the sunset, Duke put in place a full year transfer process where not only has Coach K already announced his retirement and put the timeline on it, but they also announced the new head coach as John Shire. And a lot of times in things like this where you have someone who's been there for decades and decades and decades, right? Coach K is absolutely that boomer who, you know, A, came out of West Point. <laughs> and so already, you know, the hardworking, the, the ethics and all that kind of stuff. But then came to Duke, has invested, uh, you know, his entire career in this place. And you would normally think they're going to have to have some interim years coming on the heels of someone like that. But they very intentionally walked into a process that said this program is too big and too important and too on fire to go, let's have a few interim years. And so instead, they've not only intentionally built their bench, but now they're doing this one-year transfer process where everybody knows this is going to be who the new head coach is. So I can't wait to watch it through the actual basketball season. It's been fun to watch through recruiting and preseason, but I think it's going to be a really beautiful thing. And Laura, I also think it bears mentioning that because we've been fans so long, there have been so many times where, as a family, we've named the people that we thought were going to be with the replacement. It was Johnny Dawkins first, right? We all thought it was going to be Johnny, and then he went to Stanford, and we thought he's still going to come back when it's time. And then we thought it was going to be Wojo. And I think what's really fun about this is that John Shire is 34. There is a 40-year difference between Coach K and John Shire. And so we are huge bridge here between these generations and making an investment um, in, in what is to come for decades and decades and decades. So anyway, I think it's a really cool illustration. And conversely, I would offer Nick Saban and the University of Alabama, um, but I'd like to offer them as the opposite approach. And I am mocking only because we're Auburn people. And so we are designed to dislike the University of Alabama. But unfortunately, Nick Saban is also um, an incredible, incredible coach and one of the goats out there. And at the age of 69, he is nowhere close to retirement. He and the University of Alabama are perfectly content to leave him in the driver's seat and keep, for the love of goodness, winning national championships and so we'll see how theirs plays out in years to come but for anybody looking for a master class in transitions and also different generations and the mentor thing coach k and john shire it's one to watch Jen, it has been a lot of fun spending a couple weeks talking generations. I do want to remind everybody that while this is the last full episode in the series, we still have our October book club that will yes. be next week where we're going to talk about the book Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder by Chip Conley. So we would encourage everybody read up and get ready. This mm -hmm. is going to be a great, great discussion that I look forward to to really help round out, round out this concept of how we get generations to work together 
together. How are we treating our elders in a respectful and thoughtful way? And how our elders are treating others um, in order to make sure that we set ourselves up for success in the future. So really looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. next week. However, I'd still like to take the opportunity in the next few minutes to just say, okay, we've covered a lot of ground and we could go on probably for months on this topic. But I think there's a couple of things that are really important to highlight about this series. The first one being just that stop and remember moment that we had in week one, which is we have five generations in the workforce that are active right now. That was a really important point that we talked through in the first week of this series. And Jen, it really resonates with me that we don't talk about that much. And yet as leaders in organizations, in our churches, in our communities, we need to be really aware in the diversity, not only in race and in sex, but also in age that is among mm -hmm. us and how important it is to be sensitive to that. Yes, Laura, I'm so glad you said that because it's it's a big deal. And I, I know I try not to bring the church world full force into this a lot of time because it is kind of its own animal. And so I lean a little more into the nonprofit organizational side of what I do in these conversations. But I will say that week one, when we talked about five generations in the workplace, for me, the biggest direct application was the fact that I lead a, a church that has all of those generations and more, and it is easy to forget everyone in the room and how much everyone is bringing to the table. So it actually made me start rethinking, especially because we're so volunteer driven, all of the various volunteer teams we have and how they're populated and who we might be missing that we shut out unintentionally or just not thinking. And so I really appreciated coming back to that conversation of remembering everyone who's in the room and the strengths they bring. And that took us to the next thing that we've talked about that I thought was really helpful in week two was the fact that every generation has its strengths. And it's so important, right? And again, we go to this strengths-based leadership. So often we focus on what's wrong, who the folks are that can't handle the technology, who the folks are that want to work flexible hours and aren't as committed, the folks that want to change jobs too regularly. We get really fixated on those things. Instead of focusing on the strengths that every generation brings. And I really appreciate the time that we spent walking through and thinking about that. I can tell you that it's personally impacted me and my work in the last couple of weeks since we mm -hmm. originally recorded and prepared to air that episode because it made me more aware of the fact that we have so many different points of view and we need to be better about drawing them out on a regular basis and ensuring that that type of representation is in a room on a regular basis. So I want to hear from millennials and Gen Zers about how we can create a more flexible work environment, a work environment that is based on trust more than on rules and regulations so that we are preparing well for the future. I want to hear from the traditionalists and the baby boomers about our rich history and the things that have stood the test of time that are part of our legacy and are important to who and what we are and then also about how hard work and determination can get us through difficult things and I want to hear from that generation x group of folks that are really that bridge sitting in the middle that have varied sometimes confused perspectives but aren't afraid to ask the questions that we need to be out there asking in order to get better together see how I did that 
That's beautiful, it's Laura. It's so, so important that we really focus on that. And I think a lot of us are trained to draw out the male perspective, the female perspective. We're trained to draw out the the um, European perspective, the African perspective, the Asian perspective, right? Like we're trained to approach all of those. So let's start going to the table or the team's meeting as it were and saying, how do I draw out the legacy perspective? How do I draw out the millennial perspective and help that enrich our workplace in the same regard? I, I believe that so strongly that we have to do that because the one that stood out to me, and again, because it's just too easy to forget, was we talked about the strength of the traditionalists as they make the most of everything. They they were the ones that, because of the depression and everything else, they just figured out how to use everything at their disposal and how to get everything out of it. And that was such a strong callback for me of remembering that they're exactly the people we need to not forget in the rooms when we're sitting in the middle of a supply chain crisis going, how do we make this work without the widget that we thought would arrive in our doorstep in two days? And so just naming those strengths, putting them back in front of us, knowing that Generation Xers did get really wired to starting things. And so being able to tap into that and even call some of Generation X back to their original fire starting energy as they've in some ways started to move away from that. Let's let's use something that maybe they didn't even know was a strength. And so that was a really great list and I'm glad we took the time to name them. And then Laura, then we we spent some time and it was time well spent going ready or not, here Gen Z comes. Which I really enjoyed, quite honestly. And I know we picked on my oldest in the process because it's our living, it's our think tank right there. That is our own like little case study happening before <laughs> our eyes. So it's exciting. I honestly have a couple that I'm starting to see emerge at like intern levels around me, right? This Generation Z is a fascinating blend of almost every generation that's gone before them. And I'm really excited. The more I prepare for it and think about how it's gonna change us for what it means. They're not letting, technology isn't working them. They're learning how to make technology work for them. They're returning to more traditional values. They believe in the organization and in the spirit of connectedness and in altruism. I think that this generation has the potential to embody so much of the good of all the generations that came before them, that if we continue to nurture this generation, they are going to rise up at a time when, frankly, I think our country and our world need them. So we talk a lot about the greatest generation, right? A very, we wax poetically about it, all appropriately so. Um, I think this could be our next greatest generation coming in at a time when, let's be honest, we are dealing, we're coming off of racism issues, pandemics, we are in an inflationary environment, global supply chains are a mess, global politics are a mess. This is not the easiest time in our global history that we are coming into right now by a long shot. So it may not be an actual world war, but there is a battle being fought globally. And I actually think that we have the opportunity here to see the greatest generation take two swing into action. And a lot of us need to take very seriously the call to nurture and prepare them for what I think is a great calling that's gonna be thrust upon them. 
Yeah, and speaking of calling, Laura, I want to take this moment to call out the fact that I love hearing you champion this generation. <laughs> this is not a conversation you and I had had in any kind of depth before this. And Laura, you that this is genuine for you. You are passionate and a champion for this generation, which I think is going to be huge. I think your ability uh, in what you do um, to consult with and lead and mentor and guide that generation is going to be significant because you are seeing so clearly through some of the mess right now to the potential. And that was the other thing we talked about as we talked about Gen Z is that just like every generation as they come in, there are the challenges, there are the growth points, there are the rough edges, there's the social awkwardness, the, the high stress, the inability to deal with some of those things. But what we talked about is the fact that if we can recognize them, those are teachable things that instead of degrading this new generation, we can actively teach and grow them through it into the powerhouse generation that you are, I'm going to go ahead and say, predicting and, and calling out in this moment. And so I don't know, Laura, I'm, I, I don't know if I was as jazzed before, but you've got me pumped, totally pumped for Gen Z. Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm here. I, you know, Gen Z. Yeah. I'm yeah. get the posters printed. Do, do people <laughs> print posters anymore? I don't know. Well, I'm going to have banners made. I am very into this concept. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not. Um, I really think that there is so much here. And I do think that, you know, and some of this, you know, definitely goes back to some faith concepts. But I really believe that God brings to the forefront those that are needed at the right time. And this is going to be one of those times. Um, and I have a lot of hope in that. And frankly, that's part of my mindset because it's really easy to get frustrated and allow things to go the other way. But at some time, folks, you got to let the hope in here. And I really think that these kids are going to show us. And they are still kids. Let's be serious. I'm so old. I had one of them at my dinner table last night that I just wanted to smack around a little because it was making me feel so old. So you could take my passion for wanting to foster these kids into greatness and also know that they make me feel old and that makes me mad too. So there is some balance um, out there. But I'm really looking forward to that. And I think that takes me, Jen, mentally to some of the just general key takeaways that we've talked about. So I think that was a really good review and walkthrough of some of the things that we want to launch everybody out of this generation serious thinking about. But I think another key takeaway for me in general that I want to make sure is not lost on anybody is that we must focus on the good with every generation and stop allowing ourselves to dwell on the negative and the things that aren't working because we can make a choice. We can engrandize that which is great or we can drown in that which is deficient. And I certainly want to be focused on how to build upon the good things and go to use Jim Collins phrase from good to great as a result of those things, as opposed to drowning. So to me, that's a really big takeaway. Um, and it's probably a little bit of sunshine and apple pie. And I'm OK with that. <laughs> I think that's good. There is space for that and frankly, a need for that right now. So I do love that. And I'll say one of my biggest takeaways from this series in that vein is that I need to prep my organization to start hiring Gen Zs. Right now, we don't have any Gen Zs on the team. Right now, I'm also in a hiring process. And so my wheels are spinning. Even if my next hire isn't a Gen Z, our organization needs to be gearing and preparing for um, making that space because we need that voice at our table as well. Laura, I have to be honest. This one's, um, I just have to say this. 
And I think one of my other takeaways from this series has been a lesson of omission that we did not plan. And yet, as I reflected, I think it's beautiful. The lesson of omission from this series was that we did not spend a lot of time talking about millennials. <laughs> and I actually think that was a good thing, even though it wasn't intended, because it means that maybe, just maybe, we are done dissecting the millennials and ready to simply work with them. They have been so analyzed, and I'm not even sure if I'm a them or not. We still haven't figured that out. Um, someone told me I was a geriatric millennial this week, and I thought that was just rude. But I don't <laughs> That's <laughs> hilariously awesome, and whoever said it, if you are listening, God bless you. Rude. Um, so, yeah, I got a good <laughs> laugh out of that. But I actually think it's great. And, you know, we didn't totally, I mean, we did and we didn't plan that. But we've talked about the millennials for so long. And like you said at the top of this series, they're here. They're not going anywhere. They've been shaping the workplace for years. So let's get over some of their quirks and embrace them and work with them, which is what I think we're doing. I think we've, we've gotten over it. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm excited about the lesson from a mission that we just got from a geriatric millennial. <laughs> there's so much greatness in what you just said. <laughs> oh, there's going to be so many follow-ups on that. For those of you that aren't following us on Instagram, please find us at the sisters of industry. There will be geriatric millennial follow-ups with Jen's pictures involved for sure. Jen, I really like that. I would like to end this portion of the episode making fun of you because everyone needs that little bounce in their step to start their day or end their day and remind everybody to pick up your copy of Wisdom at Work, The Making mm -hmm. of a Modern Elder. And we'll be back next week to cap off this generation's discussion by covering that. And here, join us in a few moments. We're about to go for a walk on Memory Lane. Today on Memory Lane, we are going back to a trip that we have talked about before, but not this part of the trip. And I would list this, Laura, easily among the top five places our family went growing up. Laura, talk about our visit to Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore was one of the most interesting experiences we had, and I think primarily because, and for those of you that have been there, you might be able to follow a little bit. If you've not been there, um, just hang with me. So as you approach Mount Rushmore, you're kind of on one of those, you know, mountainous two-lane roads, you know, with some turnoff lanes coming up around the mountainside. And you suddenly realize that you actually can see Mount Rushmore from the side. And the first thing you realize is that it isn't as big as you had made it up in your brain. So I think, now this is not a Plymouth Rock story, which we have told you all in the past. It is not disappointingly small, but you do go, oh, wait a minute, that's the size they are. You kind of have to get it in your head, right-sized again, um, what the actual size is. But then once you actually enter the park, get parked and start to walk, it's such an amazing experience to visit Mount Rushmore. But one of the things I remember specifically about when we went as kids, so I, you were in junior high, I was in high school when we were there. Um, once we got accustomed to kind of the layout and what it really looked like in person, because it really is just disorienting a little bit after years of seeing this carved into the mountainside in isolation and pictures, um, was 
observing the crowd that was there. Even as a more concerned about what my boyfriend was doing at home high school student um, at the time that we visited <laughs> Mount Rushmore, I remember noticing the way that different generations and folks were approaching the area. You and I were in the, okay, not sure what to think about this, but it's kind of small and weird mode, right? Mom and dad were so genuinely excited, right? Because I think this was one of those things that probably growing up, it was almost unattainable to think about getting somewhere like that, right? And there we were, we were standing there. There were other people that were complaining because you have to go along this winding walk to get to the amphitheater and get the really wide open, good look at Mount Rushmore. It's not like the parking lot, you just stand there and stare at them, right? And, there, and then there were other people who were like, well, where are the hiking trails? How do we hike up to them? That seemed annoyed that they couldn't be more active, right? Such a varying degree. <laughs> of responses that took place around us to this really, really, really unique national um, part of our landscape, right? So I remember taking that in, but then the, the thing that becomes more striking is it's all so different. But as evening progresses, one of the things that happens at Mount Rushmore once it gets dark enough is there is a light show with all the patriotic music to go with it, et cetera, that takes place. And I'm telling you to my dying day, I will remember the feeling probably in one of the top of all time of just that sense of pride in your country and all being together, right? This was something we all were looking in the same direction, that kind of, that swelling of pride moment, that pride, that, that pride we all felt, that excitement, that joy, singing along, enjoying the lights. It didn't matter whether you were annoyed at the size or how far you did or did not have to walk to get to it or whether or not they had exactly what you wanted at the gift shop. That all melted away and we were all visitors at this really, really impactful place. So such a such a wonderful, wonderful memory. I am impressed you put it in your top five, Jen. So offline, we're going to have to make our like top five places we've ever been list and see what really lands on that. But um, it, that's what really is striking to me, how it became such a unified experience as the day progressed. And I'm so thankful to this day we went. And I'm a little bit mad at myself when I think about the, or realize that I've not taken my kids yet. Yeah, yeah, me too. That'll be a destination that needs to get added to the need to need to go again, need to get the next generation on board. Thank you so much for listening. We have had so much fun with this generation series and we hope you have too. And if it's been helpful to you, please do continue to share, let others know, invite them to listen in as well. One last reminder, next week we're talking about Chip Conley's Modern, The Making of a Modern Elder. It is fantastic. We're looking forward to joining you then. We hope this episode has made you laugh, made you think, and helped you grow in your industrious life. Thank you.